This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Andrew Gibbs about the importance of package design, about his package design blog, The Die Line, and about what he sees as the positive role that brands play in people's lives. People are brands themselves, and the brands that they associate themselves with and wear and buy and bring into their homes are a part of them. Here's Debbie Millman. Anyone can start a design blog, but few are as good at it as Andrew Gibbs. Gibbs is just 26, and he's built a blog empire. It started out as a way to stay current in the package design industry. Gibbs was fresh from art school, and he'd roam the aisles of stores taking snapshots of wonderful packages. Then he'd go home and write about it. But in the process, Gibbs was making a statement. Packaging is art. It struck a chord. Those pictures of wrappers and boxes now draw almost 3 million viewers a month. And this year, Andrew Gibbs rolled out a book, an acclaimed design contest, and a conference. Andrew Gibbs, welcome to Design Matters. Thank you. I noticed that you just put up your hand and indicated four. <laughs> so does that mean you've gone from three million a month to four we're, million a we're month? Edging closer to four. Oh my God. That's crazy. Incredible. I can't even believe it. So is it true that initially when you were first starting the blog, you'd go into Target and just take pictures and post them? <laughs> I, absolutely. I would I would go in with my camera and be kicked out by security sometimes. <laughs> but when I started the site that's all I could get. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. What made you decide <laughs> to do a blog in the first place? My, my background is, is as a designer. I went to school for design. I, I got my bachelor's degree in graphic design. I mean, even when I was a kid, I was just obsessed with brands and boxes. And Okay, Andrew, I work in a firm where there are <laughs> Literally nearly a hundred people that love packaging, but right. yet none of them have started right. a package design blog. So what made you decide to, to Be- do this public blog? Because nobody else did. There was nothing like it. And I needed a resource where I could see what's going on in the industry and what's going on in the world of, of package design. So where were you working as a package designer? I worked for this company called Schoenfelds. Um, they're not in business anymore. They were a, a Great, great first company to work for. I started as a as a production artist, and I was literally designing die lines day in and out. Oh, and that's where the name came from. And so, while you were there, you decided at that point that you needed a resource, right? And so, you just I just said I'm going to start a package design blog today. What was the first post you did? The very first post, Luis Feely. Really? Yes, of the very, course. very first. Of the, course. the second, the very first post was actually an introduction letter just saying, welcome to the Die Line and here's what I want to do. So you put up a post by Louise Feely, of mm-hmm. course, the great, great designer. Incredible. Extraordinaire. What was the package? Andrew is looking at his associate, <laughs> Ivan Navarro, who is, Refre- in, refresh my mind. <laughs> who is in the studio with us. And, and Ivan is uh, a part of the Dialine Empire. And we're going to talk to him in a few moments about what he's heading up now. But he keeps looking at Ivan for all of the details. <laughs> so I have a feeling that Ivan is really the sort of uh, wind beneath your wings. Ab- abso- absolutely. Ab- absolutely. I'm like the human vault. I store all information. Okay. Yes. So, so I'm going to look at you now, Ivan. What was the post. <laughs> I think the post was a retrospective of all her work. Mm-hmm. Oh, nicely done. All her um, signage and 
type. So you started the blog in 2007 mm-hmm. with an introductory letter and a retrospective post about Louise Feely. Right. You then ended up four years later with f- nearly four million views a month. Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst to that type of success? I think people just wanted a community. And I think when we started the site, it gave package designers a home. So it was just this barren territory you came it, in. It kind of was. Now, to be to be fair, there are a number of other package design blogs now as well. Right. There always are after something is very successful, the copycats and the Me Too's <laughs> and the people that want their own point of view out there. But none are as successful. And I don't think it's because you were the first ones out right. there. So what do you think? What do you attribute some of your success? Can you? Can you? Can you? Have you figured it out? I haven't yet. Have you bottled it? No. And it's, it's still... <laughs> no, <but> it <laughs> <laughs> it's still to this day I'm, I'm amazed by it I, I, I really I, I have no idea I think people just needed a home for, for package design I think people really gravitated to it I think we have a strong point of view with, with a lot of the packaging we post on the site um, and we're we don't post everything that's the difference we, we're very very curated what would you say your point of view is my point of view is to promote beautiful well designed packaging regardless of if it's from a student or a major design firm or from anyone how many pieces do you post every day? Um, on a daily basis, we post between six to eight projects. How many do you have to go through? A lot. For six to eight posts, we'd probably have to go through 20 to 30 to 40 wow. projects. We, we are very, very curated. We, we, we get a lot of projects that are sent in that we, we don't post. But we get a lot of submissions, a lot. And are they from PR people? Are they from directly from the source of the studios? From PR people, the actual studios, from the individual designers who work at the studios. Students. Students. Anyone. I mean, I get emails now from people who just say, I hope you like it, I'm a student. And I get really formal well-constructed emails from design firms. So what is the criteria? Is it just simply work that you find inspiring and beautiful? That's it. There Do is, you there ever is... argue about what should or shouldn't be up on the site? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh so tell yes, us about that. Yes, yes. Do you come to fisticuffs? Do you um, have packaging flying all over your office? Well, we are, all of us have a really distinct point of view. We sometimes would love something that the other just totally hates. For instance, like I, I personally love the fashion packaging, and sometimes Andrew will be like, oh, that's that's not the best or this doesn't look great or I'm not sure about this I don't like that and then I'll have to kind of you know pitch it (laughs) (laughs) so the firm that you were working at after you graduated the um, where you were production artist was that the only job you've had oh no no. (laughs) prior to the die line talk about that let's talk about your trajectory I worked that was my first job as a production artist when I started I quickly within a year or two I was in charge of the entire division And how old were you at this point? Because you graduated when you were 19. Yeah, I graduated high school when I was 16, then I graduated college when I was 19. (laughs) So I was turning 20, pretty much. Already with a bachelor's degree, already on your own and working. Right, right. Wow. Are you so you're like one of those like crazy smart <laughs> young people that I loathe now. <laughs> uh, apparently, I everyone asks like why you know I I never particularly set out to you know graduate early and this and that it just it just kind of happened and it just it just was right at that moment and. I think you give the timing in your life far more credit than you should, Andrew Gibbs. I think there is something to be said for. The achievement that you right. had, not just being, of course, timing. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, I've <laughs> absolutely. I've always known what I wanted to, to, to do. Always. I've always been very, very passionate about design. I always knew from gosh. I remember being in fifth grade 
on Photoshop 4. And that's when I knew I was like, I'm going to be a designer. I didn't even know what a designer was then. I was in fourth grade. And so why packaging, though? What made you what, – what, you said that you've always loved packaging since a very early age, and I can completely relate. Right. I think we have that in common. Absolutely. This obsession with boxes and packages since, our, right. since we were wee little ones. But what, what was it about packaging that you found so compelling? It's, packaging is so embedded in our culture. It's really what kind of runs this country in a way. Every, every, everything is a package. Every single thing around us, everything we consume, everything we buy on a, on a daily basis – it's a package, and somebody designed that, and so much work went into that. And what's so interesting about packaging in, in, in relation to design and, and other things, packaging is literally the direct connection between the consumer and the brand. They can physically pick it up in their hand and take it into their home. And that's what, that's what I find really, really powerful about packaging. It's not something that, that's just on a, living on a wall. It's something you kind of bring into your lives. So do you remember the first package that ever caught your interest? Oh, goodness. Um, I would have to say it was my Lego boxes. Really? <laughs> I, re- I remember I was just going to Toys R Us and I just was obsessed with Legos and just the, I always loved the packaging and it was just incredible. And then as you were growing up, what were some of the other brands that really spoke to you? Um, Hot Wheels. <laughs> so toys, a lot yeah, of toys. absolutely, absolutely. I was obsessed with Hot Wheels, great, great packaging. Great logo. Mm-hmm. Really um, gorgeous logo. Absolutely. And, and from there, it's just, it was everything. I, I was just, I've, I've been inspired by every, everything. So you then left your production artist job, and then where did you go next? I was working for a company called Pacific World Corporation. Um, it was designing packaging for uh, artificial nails. and it was How a- did you get that <laughs> job, Andrew? I never actually asked you that I will, before. I'll tell you, with the last company I worked for, I, I, I basically had to leave. We got to the, the point where we weren't getting paychecks anymore, oh. and we had real estate people coming through our office showing people around the the space and it just it was that I knew I had to just get out of there so I had a friend and a coworker who worked there and recommended it and it was a it was a fantastic place to work and so it was was it after that that you then left to do yeah, the af- dye line full time well after that um I was there for about two and a half three months and then I kind of found my 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 dream job I was hired by this company called Power Brands they're the biggest beverage development company in the country and I was the creative director, so I was designing beverage brands day in and day out. And it was—it's to this day I, I, I still work for projects for them. It's, I, I absolutely love loved what I did. But and I, at the same time, then you're furiously posting right. all day long, whenever you could take a break, six to eight posts a day of fabulous, right. beautiful, inspiring packaging. Right. And so you're doing two things at the same time. You must have, especially if you had come from a place where you weren't getting paid and you right. watched those sort of real estate people coming in and out of the <laughs> office, there must have been some fear about how you were going to pay the bills if you were to leave and do the dye line full time. Had you started taking advertising on the dye line at that point? When when I was at that company, I, I had. I, I was already writing the book. I already had a, a successful lineup of advertisers. We had all of our spots filled. So. We we were we were the company was doing very well, but I never I never started the dye line ever for to, to to make a dollar or anything. It was always my passion, and it just it just worked out. It worked out so well. Now, was there ever a giant jump in your readership? Was there is there anything that you can pinpoint as saying that was when it really caught fire? It, it's been very gradual. Our growth has been very gradual year over year. There's not I, I've looked at the statistics from when we started the blog, and it's been just a gradual trajectory up. Tell us about how you made the decision to leave your full-time job that must have given you in health insurance and all sorts of benefits <laughs> and a paid vacation and Absolutely. sick days and everything else. 
So you then have to make a decision. Okay, here's this thing that I love that seems to be <laughs> catching on. Something's, something's working. Something's working, but there's no guarantee Absolutely. that it'll keep working. Um, so how did you make the decision? How did you take that big jump? I, I had to make the decision because I was going crazy. I was working full time. I was writing a book on the side. I was doing the blog full time. And I, I had to make a decision. And it was it was actually my boss at, at my company who was the one who kind of pushed me. He said, just quit. Just quit. Just and do it. Just do it. And so I said, okay, and Did, I quit. Had you saved any money? Had you sort of we, had any rainy nest eggy kind of thing? No, no, not, <laughs> it was never a plan. It was never, we never had a long-term plan for the company. We never, I never thought, I never thought it would be what it, what it is today. So nothing. I mean, we just did just it. Just did it. Just did it. Do you ever look at all of this and say, how did this happen? <laughs> Every day. It's, it's, it's incredible. Do you ever worry about the site's continued success? Do you ever worry about staying relevant, about being fresh? Absolutely. I mean, how could I not? I mean, I, I worry about it every day. But it's it's that constant innovation that we're able to do. We, we're a very small team, so we're able to do a lot of things, and, and we're, we're able to be very nimble. So as we see technology changing and the the industry changing, we're, we're able to pretty quickly adapt. So the first extension of the Dyline brand was actually your book. Right. The book Box, Bottle, Bag. It was released by How Books in early 2010. And like the blog itself, very quickly became the number one selling and highest rated package design book on Amazon. So how did the book deal happen? Did you go to How? Did How come to you? Basically, the book happened because I was I was at Barnes & Noble one day and already the blog was already doing really well. And I was looking at all the package design books for inspiration for stuff to post on the site. And I was like, gosh, there's not really very many really well done package design books a lot of the projects in the book just a lot of the projects in the book i wouldn't even post on the site and a lot of in a lot of the books that were that were out at the time and you know this was a, this was a few years ago and that's really where the inspiration came from and i had emailed how just kind of out of the blue and said i want to do a book so you just got the courage up found out who the publisher was or right. who the acquisitions editor was, right. sent them an email and said, She replied Hi. back. It, it was Megan Patrick from How, who oh, is absolutely Megan incredible. Patrick, yep. She said, I love the dialine. I read it every day. Let's do it. And so then you did it. And then we did it. And so talk about the process of writing this book. I mean, here you were. The only experience you had was right. writing the blog. Right, right. So how did you make that transition from online to on paper? Right. I mean, the, the book kind of was and is my personal favorites and the best of the best from the website and a lot of new new things that were not on the website. Um, and really, it, it kind of followed the same format. I think what, what people really like about our site is it's very visual. It's you're reading a package design book because you want to see the packaging. Eye candy. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. So that's what that's exactly what we did. We, we made it beautiful, big images, and we kept a lot of the content down. We kept it we kept it minimal. We included quotes from the designers and let them let them speak about it themselves and, and included whatever they wanted to say about it. So what was the experience like in comparison to publishing a blog? It's a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? Actually, putting together the book itself was, was not, was, wasn't as, as challenging as I thought it would be. It was those release forms for copyright for every single image in the book. It's an administrative <laughs> nightmare. I don't yes. think people realize how much administration oh goes into actually goodness. writing a book. I had no idea. I was I, I, At the time when I was writing the book, I was running the site and I was working full time. And I was like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? But it, it was a great, great experience. And when we're working on our second book. 
So talk about that because that's a big scoop we've got here on the radio, <laughs> don't we? So we, we are working on a second book with Haugen. Um, it is tentatively titled The Design Genome. Nice. What what the concept of the book is, um, is about the creative brief. You see in a creative brief all these terms, authentic and luxury and premium, premium and Designers see these terms every day in creative briefs that they get. And it's the, the idea of the book is to really determine and, and define what those are. So we're, we're breaking it down not only visually as, you know, what kind of aspects make premium, for instance. So we're going to look at the actual examples of packaging that looks premium and kind of break it down and see, you, you know, some of these elements can make your package look premium, but also tying it in culturally. So we're, we're showing culturally what that means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Ivan, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions now. In addition to the blog, in addition to the book, the Dyeline also now is running a design competition, the Dyeline Awards, and that is going into its third year. And a design conference in conjunction with how and F&W Media that is going into its second. So tough question, toughest question of the afternoon. Um, <laughs> why does the world need another conference or another design competition? That is a tough question. Um, we're different because we know our audience and we genuinely love people. I'm a people person. So at the conferences, I ask people, what is it that's on your mind, you know? And I think a lot of conferences are usually kind of the big players, the established people, the big companies, the cool kids. And a lot of people who are starting out or students want to be a part of that. And, so you're advocates for the small startups? Um, I'm not advocates for uh, the small startups or anybody. I think we're advocates for people that genuinely have a passion for this industry and who genuinely want to do it better versus just who's in and who makes the most money or that kind of thing. So I want to talk a little bit about why you believe brands are so important to people. Obviously, Andrew, you were impacted by your Lego boxes <laughs> and your Hot Wheels when you were little. I know that the goodie barrettes that I coveted were actually drove me to thievery. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about why brands mean so much to people. Why do you think that they do? I think you identify yourself with what you own. I mean, there's a reason why people buy Mercedes-Benz. People that buy a Mercedes-Benz want people to know they're driving a Mercedes-Benz. They want to feel in the, that, they're, that they've made it, that they can afford to buy it. Whereas someone else might want a Ford Bronco, let's just say. You know? so not, not everybody wants a Ford Bronco, but for the people that want a Ford Bronco, that's their thing. Do you think that there's anything inherently wrong with that, with using these things to telegraph who we are or our financial our financial status or no. where we I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean I think brands are a part of people. They they really are. You grow up with brands. You put your trust into brands. You bring them into your life. I, I don't think there's a, anything wrong with that. You know, those are your calling cards, what what your taste is like. The way I see it is that people are brands themselves and that the brands that they associate themselves with and wear and buy and bring into their homes are a part of them. Extensions of themselves, yeah. So how would you describe the Dyeline brand? The Dyeline brand is young. It's fun. It's smart. Smart. It's innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think it is approachable. So tell me what you think are some of the most important, interesting, beautiful, meaningful packages that are happening in our culture today. I think for me, one of my most favorite brands in the world is Coca-Cola. 
So I and would, you love the you love the Turner Duckworth uh, people, don't absolutely. you? Absolutely, <laughs> I, I think what they've done with Coca Cola is is fantastic. What do you think is most incredible about it? Because uh, what what they've done is really define the brand and bring it down to what to its core. And, and they took off the fluff. They took off the the, the fake dew on the can and the, <laughs> the, the the fluff. They were able to see what the brand is at its core. How would you describe that core? It's an emotion. I think the Coca Cola brand is an emotion. I think people. It's happy. It's happy. It's happy. It's people. People are happy when you when you drink a Coke. It just makes you happy. Coca Cola is relevant to every phase of your life. You know, I think you can think of when you were a child and open and the taste of opening a cold Coca Cola at a picnic or on a road trip or at the movies. It's just part of your life. It's huge. Let's have a few more. And I love Levi's. Okay. Levi's to me are just iconic. I mean, I, I that's all I wear. And what do you think about the new identity with the word Levi's coming out of the shape of the um, holding device? I think it's amazing. I think, I think that, that that if they can, you know, that it's so iconic and it translates so well without having all the extra stuff. I think that's when you've made it that, when you get to that point, you're already there. And I've noticed Target's doing it too. They, they just have the, the, the bullseye. The bullseye. And uh, everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how Levi's does without the yeah. letter forms mm-hmm. in the holding device. I don't think they need it. I don't think they need it either, but I miss them a little bit. But then again, for somebody that's as involved in packaging and branding as I am, I have a very low tolerance for change. <laughs> but that's just in general. <laughs> I like everything to remain exactly as it is forever. Of <laughs> well, that, that's also part of the brand is keeping the tradition and your legacy. Right. And, and I think that's what, what Turner Duckworth, who, who did the d- design as well, like Coca Coca-Cola, they've, they've brought it back to its simplest form, which is, is it's fascinating. They brought it back to its roots. I was recently talking to Moira Cullen, who actually hired Turner Duckworth to do the redesign a couple of years ago at Coca-Cola. And she was talking about the struggle in getting the Coca-Cola packaging approved by senior management who were very worried that if they took the bubbles off of the can <laughs> that people would think that the Coke was warm. Wow. And isn't that amazing? That's incredible. And and somehow she was able to persuade them to do that. And it gives me a lot of faith that people didn't reject it because mm-hmm. right. they thought that mm-hmm. the Coke was then warm as opposed mm-hmm. to cold <laughs> because the bubbles and the sweat of the cold can were gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting what they have done because it's Coca-Cola is such a huge corporation. So I can only imagine what they had to go through to get to where they're at now. It's a fascinating story. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. But I think it's if the one of the biggest brands in the world can do that, everyone can. But why is it so difficult to find beautiful packaging in the average supermarket or the average drugstore in this country? It's not for lack of good firms. Right. It's certainly not for lack of good brands. But yet... Well, I think in the past, package design, especially in stores, mass consumer products, they kind of just have to scream at you. And I, mm-hmm. Do they? In the past. Well, in the past. I think that's changing now. But I think that's why a lot of packages in, in mass market stores aren't designed. I think the, the you know, especially major brands, they just made things 
based off, oh, red makes people hungry or whatever. And then they would send it out. And then... <laughs> what would the Tylenol people think of that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, Tylenol, it's, that's, you know, red's emergency. It's like, oh, you right. know, I'll yeah. cure you. Right. And, and that's kind of, the, I think they went with that approach and then sent it to the ad agencies and said, this is, right. this is our demographic. We want these people to buy it. So I think there was a disconnect. And I think consumers have shifted really mm-hmm. in the past few years, especially with the recession we've gone through. People are screaming for more simplicity they don't they can see through the fluff they can see they can see through that now and you you see that in a lot of products that are coming out now they are much simpler they're they're look i look at for the list help remedies it's kind Wonderful. of yeah. it, it's it's a great example of how a brand can just change an entire category and i think what they've done with the packaging and just simplifying it and, and making it clean and accessible and easy and friendly i think that's what consumers want so do you have a lot of optimism for packaging and branding in the future. Do you feel like it's just going to get better or do you feel like we'll have a lot more struggles before I think we... it's going to get better. Absolutely. I think I think it's going to get a lot better. And I, th- I see products coming down the pipeline that are really changing things and changing changing industries. I look at Method and, and other products. There's Berry Plus in the laundry category. Mm-hmm. They're condensed and I think people like that. And I, I don't think anybody should be shipping around gallons full of water. I think it's the biggest waste in the world. And I think that's that's what's going to be changing. And I see these brands coming out that are condensed. They've they've brought down an entire jug of laundry detergent to a little case that you just pop a little, throw it in there, and that's it. And I think that's, that's where, where brands are going to be going in the future. Well, Ivan, Andrew, thank you for being on Design Matters. Thank you for a true rallying cry in the packaging design industry. And thank you for making us all better at what we do. Thank you. You can learn more about Andrew Gibbs and Ivan Navarro and the whole wide world of packaging design at www.thedyeline.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Melman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica and research by Jen Simon. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.